Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby continued in week four of our Advent series called Noel. And in this week, we look at the theme of God's never-ending love. God's love has nothing to do with our behavior and has everything to do with God's own being. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Peace and love. So I'm going to need a little help getting through this morning, so even if you don't like audience participation, I'm going to guilt you into it this morning, (laughs) unapologetically. So we're going to start with a, a little audience participation. It's easy. It doesn't require a whole lot of thinking, I promise. I'm going to name something. And if it's something that you love, I want you to make an L, not the loser L. This is the L for love today. (laughs) If it's something that you love, just make an L. If it's something that you don't love, do this, okay? Chocolate. I always like to see those weirdos that don't like chocolate. (laughs) Rob, Kenny too, man, you too, yeah. I don't, I don't, okay. I shouldn't have started with that one. I knew that was gonna throw me. It's like upsetting when people don't like chocolate. Uh, driving. Okay. Hallmark movies. I better see all L's. Rude. How about flying, air travel? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay. Okay. Real Christmas trees? Okay, wrapping presents. (laughs) Giving presents. Getting presents. (laughs) And just because apparently we're supposed to have the storm of the century this week, how about snow? Snow, anybody? (laughs) Okay, perfect. Love is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? We use that word so freely in our language. We love chocolate and we love traveling and we love our new shoes and we love our favorite sports team and we love our friends and we love naps and we love our children. We've talked about this before, that it's just absurd that we seem to use the same word to describe our relationship with our spouse that we use to describe our relationship with ice cream. (laughs) Or maybe for some of you that's fitting. I'll leave you to work that out, but... (laughs) I do marriage counseling on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Most other languages, or at least a lot of languages, have more than one word to describe love. If you spent time in other countries, you would learn that they don't use the same word to describe the way they love their family and the way they love pizza, right? But in our language, we throw the word love around more than most. And so given that we use it for so many things it would seem that we have a pretty clear understanding of what love means, right? Well, let's take a look to see if that's really true. Maybe I don't know how to edit videos. I'll have to work on that. So maybe we, maybe we struggle to define love after all. What is love? It's deep and it's big, according to those people. It's active. 
It's accepting people as they are. Maybe it's doing things for other people. Maybe it's looking out for each other to help each other become your best self. Maybe it's something to dance or sing about. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's indescribable. For a word that we use so easily, we sure struggle to understand what love actually means, don't we? This week, as you have no doubt seen already, we are in week four of our Advent series, Noel, which means both Christmas and good news. Each week of Advent and each candle of Advent have a different word associated with them. And and so we first talked about hope and then peace. And then last week, we talked about joy. And now this week, our final week of Advent, we talk about love. This hope, peace, joy, and love, this Noel, this good news, the best news ever, which we'll talk a little bit more about on Saturday at our Christmas Eve service. But, but it seems quite fitting that the last word of Advent, the word just moments before the arrival of Jesus, is love. And to help us talk about that, I want to use what is probably the single most well-known scripture verse in the entire Bible the one that people hold up at sporting events and on street corners. What is it? Except I want to look not just at John 3.16, but also at John 3.17, because we skip over that a lot. For those of you who grew up in the church, you have this memorized, or you probably have this, this somewhat this version memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But I also want to read a different translation, especially for those of you who might be new to church. This is from the the message translation that says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help, to put the world right again. It's not just good news, it's the best news ever. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. Why? So that we need not be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole and lasting life. And here's the thing. My message for this morning changed direction after some news broke earlier this week. I had a particular idea of how I wanted to talk to you about love and about the love of God this week. And then I was sitting at my desk on Wednesday morning when an alert came over my phone that Stephen Boss, more commonly known as Twitch, died. Now, I try really hard not to use references that are maybe sort of exclusive to particular age groups, but this was a strange kind of loss for people. For those of you who don't know who this is, Twitch was known for a number of things, primarily as one of the best dancers around. He also happened to work as the DJ and sidekick for Ellen DeGeneres on her show for the last 10 years or so. He was on So You Think You Can Dance. And he and his wife were also social media influencers. They were, they were dancers. They put out dance videos all the time. And they have three young children. In addition to that, Twitch was like living, breathing sunshine, right? His smile and his dancing just lit up the room in such a powerful way. 
He and his wife Allison posted dance videos regularly that brought so much joy to so many people, and he was seriously so well-known and so well-loved. His death reminded me of Robin Williams. Both spent their lives bringing so much joy to everyone else, yet both experienced a darkness that the public knew nothing about. Both ended their own lives, leaving everyone so shocked. How could someone who, who exudes that much joy be in so much pain? And so all this week, people were posting reminders to friends and strangers alike, saying things like, you matter. Please stay. Know that you are loved. Know that you are loved. But lots of us don't really know that, do we? I mean, maybe people have told us that we are loved, and maybe there's part of us somewhere that knows that we are loved, but so many people in this world don't know, don't really know to the core of their being the love for which we were made. We read that verse on poster boards at football games, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we know it's true, or, or, or we choose to believe that it's true, however you want to word that. And then we come to church, and we sing songs, and we follow along, and we listen to the sermons, and we, we try our best to be good people, and we know somewhere in our heads that God so loved the world, and we believe that. But so many of us fail to believe that in addition to God so loving the world, God also loves me. Because so often our impression or our understanding of God's love for us comes from our impression or our understanding of how we love ourselves. And if we're real honest, I mean the kind of honest that most of us can't stand to be, if we're real honest, a lot of us don't love ourselves very well, do we? Some of you know this story already because there was a certain person in the church who told it many, many times, but I fell last week. Hey, thank you for your sympathy. It's, it's overwhelming. I did. Some of you saw it happen. There was a, a large group of us from this church that went to another church in Naperville to see the Let It Be Christmas show. And there were three little steps to get down to the section where our seats were, and my, top shoe, my shoe hit the top step, and I kind of real slow motion fell in the most graceless twisted, slow motion of ways. And other than breaking my toe and my pride, I was absolutely fine, mortified, but fine. I told some friends this week that when my oldest brother, Jeff, heard that he texted to check in to make sure that I was okay, and I made a comment to him that it was just another day as a Zerbi, because Jeff is the same as I am. And I told this person that Jeff calls himself BDA for big dumb animal because he is just as prone to falling or breaking things or running into things or dropping things as I am. And when I told that person that he calls himself Big Dumb Animal, they, they cringed and said, that, that's so mean. It didn't even faze me because I call myself much worse than that. <laughs> Be honest for a second. How many of you say mean things to or about yourself? How many of you say things to yourself that you would never say to another person? Yeah. 
I believe that God so loved the world, but do I believe that God really loves me? You see, we, we learn very early on that our behavior can and does often and easily determine what other people think of us. Many of us grew up being made to feel as if we had to perform for other people, to show others a really calculated version of ourselves. Some of you maybe grew up with a sibling that you felt like you were constantly compared to. Others of you grew up with a parent or a loved one that had such high expectations of you that you felt like a performing monkey in front of them. You learned that if you don't act or perform a certain way that people won't like you or accept you. And so we learn to act this way in front of a parent and to act that way in front of a sibling and to act this way in front of a teacher and to act that way in front of a friend. And then as we grow up, we keep sending those messages to ourselves over and over again. And so then we grow into adults who tell ourselves not to act like an idiot in front of that cute person that we like. And we tell ourselves not to sound so stupid in front of our boss. And we tell ourselves not to be our usual moronic selves in front of our new neighbors. And because we learned that our behavior determines how or what people might think about us, we naturally assumed that the same might be true of God. And so despite the fact that God so loved the world, we struggle to believe that God so loves me. And so you come to church and you sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and pastor tells you that God loves you, and you sing and you pray and you listen along, and then you get in the car and you repeat all of those cruel messages that you are so used to hearing from yourself, to yourself, about yourself. And you think, if only, if only they knew. If only the pastor knew what I had done. If only my boss or my neighbor or that church member knew how I destroyed my life or how I destroyed somebody else's life or how badly I've harmed people. If only people knew what I thought about when I was alone. If only they knew what I'm really like on the inside. The shame, the bitterness, the ugliness, the anger, the regret... And so, yeah, maybe God so loved the world, but if I'm honest, no, I don't believe that God so loved me. And if you're in that place right now, it it feels really hard, probably impossible for you to believe the things that, that this crazy preacher is spewing at you. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know my life. And you're right. I don't. I don't know what you've done. And I don't know why you carry the shame or the anger or the blame or the regret that you carry. I don't. But I want to ask you a question anyway. Is it possible that I don't need to know what you have done to know what God thinks of you? Because is it at all possible that, God, uh, that the way that God sees us or loves us has nothing to do with our behavior at all, despite what we have believed our whole lives? The only way that we know or understand love is through the love or lack thereof of the people in our lives who are supposed to love us. And some of us were loved well, and others of us weren't. And some of us have loved others well, and some of us haven't. For most of us, love is this big mixed bag of mostly conditional love. What we've seen and what we've experienced, whether we realize it or not, inevitably shapes the way that we come to understand God's love for us. But God's love for us 
is neither based on nor impacted by our behavior. So I don't even need to know what you have done in order to know so confidently what God thinks of you. God loves you. And God couldn't love you anymore. And God won't ever love you any less. How do we know that? Because God doesn't just love, God is love. God's very being and essence is love. And how does God show that love to us? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or as the message translation so not eloquently puts it, but God put his own life on the line for us by offering his son and sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. That's how we know that God's love has nothing to do with our behavior. And if God's love has nothing to do with our behavior, is it possible that God might love even you? There was a period of time in the late, late 90s, early 2000s, where it seemed that every preacher on earth was teaching on the different types of Greek love, right? Those of you who have been in the church for a while no doubt remember that. The point was similar to the one I was trying to make at the beginning of the message, that the English language does a major disservice in helping us understand love by having just one word for every kind of love imaginable. Whereas in the Greek language, which we see in scripture, there are three different primary words that mean love, right? And each one describes a different kind of love. There's eros love, which is romantic love. It's where we get the word erotic. There's philo or philia love, like Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, which is what philo love is. It's, it's friendly or brotherly love. And then there's agape or agapeo love, which is unconditional sacrificial love, which is the kind of love that's most attributed to the way that God loves us through Jesus. And then a little while later, people got all up in arms because there's actually a fourth kind of Greek love that people didn't talk about, and that was called storge love, which is familial love, and it caused a whole thing. Anyway, point being, everyone was teaching about these different types of love and how God loves us differently, and it was cool, and it was helpful, and I love a good Greek lesson. Actually, that's not true. I don't love a good Greek lesson. I, like, barely made it through Greek in seminary. Anyway, there was another pastor. His name is Craig Rochelle, and he talked about two different kinds of love, two other forms of love, and I love it so much more than the Greek lesson, and so I had to share it with you this morning. He says that there are two types of love. The first type of love is love that loves because the object is valuable. It loves because the object is valuable. Maybe that's your car or a pair of shoes or your home or your favorite purse, your cell phone or your grandma's china. Whatever it is, you love it because it is valuable. That is the type of love that we see in the world. We love to assign value to things and to people, and then, and then we determine based on that if they are lovable. You follow the rules, you're lovable. You were born into the right family, the right neighborhood, the right state, the right country, the right skin color, you are valuable. You are wealthy or intelligent or attractive, you are valuable. The significant downside to this kind of love, the way that our world tends to love, is that if you aren't valuable, or even if you don't feel valuable, you won't feel loved. 
which means that you can have a million Academy Awards for your hilariously and brilliant performances in movies, or you can have millions of followers and likes on your dance videos, but if you don't feel valuable, you won't feel loved. But there's a second kind of love, Groeschel says, and that's a love whose love gives value to the object. The first love is that you love something or someone because it has value. This second kind of love is a love that gives value to the object. My two favorite books growing up when I was a little kid were The Velveteen Rabbit and Corduroy. You probably don't need to be a psychiatrist to figure out that I went through it as a kid. <laughs> Most of you probably know the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. It's a stuffed rabbit who is given to a little boy, and the boy plays with it for like two hours, and then it gets dumped in the nursery with the rest of the toys, and it's ignored for years and years, but then one day it learns that it can become real, and it can only become real if a child really, really loves it, not just for a couple of hours, but really, really loves him. And the little boy gets sick, and the nanny gives the rabbit to the little boy, and the rabbit is loved to pieces, and eventually becomes a real rabbit. My second favorite book was Corduroy. Does anybody know Corduroy? Hey, 80s kids. <laughs> this is Corduroy. Corduroy is about a teddy bear who was sitting on a shelf in a fancy department store, but he, he's missing a button, and so nobody wanted him. And when everybody was asleep, he goes searching for a button so that somebody will take him home. A little girl named Lisa ends up buying him anyway, and she takes him home, and she sews a button on him, and they become best friends forever and ever. And these were my two favorite books as a kid. Because one of the outcomes of childhood abuse is that the negative messages to your brain start pretty early. And so from the time that I was really little, the messages that I started to tell myself were things like, you're not really loved. No one really wants you. You're damaged. You're broken. You're deficient. You're other than everybody else. So sure, for God so loved the world, but does God really love me? And I say that to you because we all have those messages. They might be for all different kinds of reasons, but we all have them. For some of us, we hear those messages in the voice of a parent or a loved one, and for others, they were, they were things that we were tricked into believing before we were old enough to know any better. The amount of shame that so many of us carry around would break our collective hearts if we were to talk about it. And it undoubtedly breaks the heart of God. Things happen to us, or we cause things to happen, or any combination of the two, and the messages then that we start to feed ourselves are so damaging. But they're also comfortable and prevalent, and they're so known to us that we sometimes confuse those messages for God's voice. But remember the second kind of love that I mentioned. It's not a love that's based on our value, it's a love that gives us our value. It's a love that makes us valuable because God knows every single flaw that you possess and God knows every single wound that you have ever endured inside and out. And God knows every single secret that you carry and every single scar that you have ever tried to hide, 
God knows the messages that you have ingrained in your brain and the well-worn path that you have walked to continue those messages. God knows all of the times that you have stood here in this room and sung about his love for you while deep down not believing a word of it. And so this morning, just days away from the celebration of Christ's birth, what I want you to hear, what I think some of you need to hear, is that God doesn't love you because you are worthy. God's love is what makes you worthy. You cannot earn it. You cannot undo it. You cannot lessen it. And you cannot cancel it. Because God's love has nothing to do with your behavior and everything to do with God's being. On Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate the night that the heavens opened up and that God revealed his love not just to the world, but to you. This is how much God loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all of the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. No matter what the church has ever told you, God did not send his son to point an accusing finger at you to tell you how messed up you are. Jesus came to help. Jesus came to put the world and your world right again. He came so that you need not be destroyed by the difficult, painful, awful things of this world, but that you can live a whole and lasting life here and now and forever. Friends, God does not love you because you are worthy. God's love is what makes you worthy. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for these words this morning, for this message this morning, that I believe that there are people in this room who desperately needed to hear. Because the things that we tell ourselves are pretty awful. We speak to ourselves, Lord, in ways that you would never. And sometimes we have done that for so long that we confuse our voice with yours. And so, Lord, first of all, I pray that for anybody who has those voices confused this morning, that you would speak your truth over us. That you would help us to recognize those messages as lies. That you would help us to recognize that that is not your voice. God, in a world that, that loves only that which is valued, would you remind us this morning that our value comes because of your love? That it's because of your love that we are able to not only endure the things of this world, but to thrive in this life and to have life with you forever. And so God, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of your son again this week, that moment when heaven tore open and your love came to one of us, to each of us. God, would you remind us this morning that when you say that you so loved the world that you sent your only son, 
would you remind us that you so loved me, that you sent your only son for me. And so God, in a world that's quick to tell us that we don't deserve love for this reason or that, and in a brain that's quick to tell ourselves that we don't deserve love for this reason or that, would you remind us, Lord, that our value is because we are loved by you. We thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love that has nothing to do with our behavior and everything to do with your being. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.